From beyond the farthest reaches of our galaxy they come. Two brains pulsing with a strange energy. These space brains come to share their love of science fiction movies. Welcome to Space Brains, the show where we joy watch sci-fi movies and then talk about what was good and what was great. I'm Surrey and this is Mark. Hiya, it's episode 88. No, whoops, we're going forwards in time. It's 89. We did have a little bit of a mix-up with numbers there. We've been trapped in a parallel universe. Which is very relevant for the film we are talking about on this episode 89. It's the British sci-fi film Infinitum, I think. Infinitum? Infinitum. Subject unknown. Maybe director Matthew Butler Hart can correct me on that. Uh, In this episode, we'll reveal what we thought about the film, the ins and outs of narrative and film film language, (laughs) plus a deep dive into a specific piece of science that the filmmakers are proposing. This was written by Matthew Butler Hart and Tori Butler Hart, and Matthew did the directing. And Tori did the acting. She did. So this is a... Spoiler warning, uh, you probably had a couple of extra weeks to prepare for this one, but if you haven't seen this film, it is available through Amazon. Mm-hmm. You can rent it or download it or just, I don't know, if you're Amazon Prime, you yeah, got it. You got it. Watch it, come back and listen to what we have to say about it because we're going to go through everything and it will be spoiled. We're going to go through every single parallel universe that this film proposes uh, because... Uh, This film is a bit of an experimental film shot with just that one crew member. (laughs) So On on an iPhone. On an iPhone, shot this film. I'm pretty sure Tori is his wife um, for the fact that they both got the last sort of names, I I presume. But you correct me if I'm wrong. And also I think their daughter's in it as well. So it is is a bit of an experimental sci-fi film where they grabbed out the mobile phone during that lockdown period and made a feature film. It's a great one to learn and look at if you're wanting to be a filmmaker or a scriptwriter because you can see what can uh, actually be made when you have a camera and a filmmaker and an actor. And that's all it takes sometimes. Um, This film is basically about a Jane who's played by Tori Uh, is trapped in a parallel universe and is forced to find a way to alter her reality before it is too late. What was your number one takeaway from this film, Sorry, My number one takeaway from this film is that it's nice to think of the main character that you're following as being the hero of a story, Mm -hmm. but, and this is a spoiler of this film, uh, it's a nasty twist to give when you find out that the person we're following is actually the one that loses everything all the time. <laughs> I, I found that this film turned rapidly into a, a horror for me <laughs> yeah. when the full realisation of what was revealed at the end there sunk in, mm. particularly when you could see that Jane, well, that version of Jane realised mm. what had happened. Yeah, it's. A, I felt this film... 
I mean, it's shown almost as a nightmare. And to me, when you get to that ending, it, it is a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare, this film, when you think about it and what they are suggesting for poor Jane, the Jane in this story. Mm. Yeah, it's, it, the film is a done as a loop, so very similar to something like Groundhog's Day where, you know, the, the character is repeating itself or Memento, the Christopher Nolan film where, you know, we're on this kind of repetitive loop a little bit. Uh, so the narrative is looping around itself because that is symbolically showing what is happening to Jane. But then when you get that punch in the face at the end of the film of what mm. this type of Jane's reality is, it's a, yeah, it is an absolute nightmare. She, she's the one that doesn't get out of the loop. <laughs> she never gets out of the loop. Which, so. which is kind yeah. of, that's kind of the horror presented. We're doing Groundhog yeah. Day. Yeah, yeah. It's at that point where Bill Murray's character sort of starts contemplating that this is everything. Yeah. This this day is all I'm ever going to have and I can't die because yeah. he tries it. He does try it. Spoiler. It's just <laughs> he's just going to have to live that day yeah. forever. And, yeah. in fact, in that movie it's when he comes to that realisation and he goes, mm-hmm. well, oh, I guess I'll make the best of it. Yeah. And he starts becoming a – get better. Try, yeah. He tries to become a better person. Yeah. Supposedly, although there's some problematic ideas presented, but nonetheless mm. you get the idea. Yeah. And then he does break out of it. Yeah. In this one here, yeah, it's... She's not getting there. That same thing is like, <laughs> how on earth can she get out? You know, she's trapped in this loop and we've seen this loop so many times in other films where the whole point is them breaking that loop. Like yeah. they've got to learn something or discover something which gets mm. them out. And this one she discovers that, no, she's the one that doesn't oh, get out. Poor Jack. And And <laughs> that that there was just kind of like, oh, ooh, that's really unpleasant. It is. So it's, I guess you sort of answered a little bit though where there's a hope, warning or experiment. Mm. You're saying, I'm going to guess you, you reckon this is hope? Yeah, no, no hope in this really. I suppose unless you're not this version of Jane, you know, so. If you're the version sitting in the, the comfy chair reading yeah, a book, yep. that'd be okay. Yeah, and we do see, you know, when she opens those doors, there's Jane doing ballet. She seems pretty happy, I think, oh, doing yeah. like a she ballet dance right. performance or something. She seems to be enjoying herself. Uh, I think warning uh, because... The film does set up early that scientists are experimenting with this. They've, they've created a portal or a loop research experiment. And realistically, if you think about the whole point is this Jane is the Jane that is the worst case scenario. And this poor version of Jane just lives that over and over and over and really can never get out of it. To me, is a warning. <laughs> it, I suppose it is. Right. It's warning that you. And and I go yeah. back. I guess I just want to say I go back to we're, we're here. We're talking about all the science fiction films. You know, you think about all those sci-fi films where scientists do something, and then that causes the drama of the film yeah. or the story. That that causes the plot to our, ignite. Our, our own That's what's have yeah. caused the problems. Yeah. yeah. So you know the the traditional zombie you know that story of not not the traditional zombie story but that that zombie story that some have picked up like the walking dead where scientists unleashed accidentally unleashed the virus so that's a warning so it's the same here scientists have created this parallel universe experiment and there's no way out for this jane so to me it's a warning that that could happen to any of us yeah i I think you'd need to Watch this film if you're a scientist thinking of producing this kind of experiment. You might consider that, uh, yeah, there, there could be unintended consequences. Was this the first time you watched it? Yeah, it was. It was the first time. I mean, it's uh, a new film. It it's came not out surprising. Last year. It was, yeah, <laughs> didn't have much opportunity to watch it otherwise. And no. um, I, I got Amazon Prime 
during the lockdowns because mm. being able to order things for Christmas to my parents because they couldn't come visit, yeah. that was kind of handy. And yes. so, yeah, uh, I've watched it. Um, I watched it on my own in my room with my headphones on. Oh, very teenage Yes, very teenage me uh, <laughs> because uh, well, what was my wife doing? She's doing something more useful, I think, <laughs> as as they are want to do. Yeah. Uh, I've probably something to do with our house that we're trying to build, but um, and you said it sort of turned into a bit of a horror it, for you. It was did. that your first sort of impression? Or well, my first what, impression what, what was happened after you saw it. My first impression was that it was a mystery, mm. you know, and I was I was hoping or I was, I was thinking we we're going to get this unraveling mystery as to uh, why she was there and how she got there and. Uh, how, in fact, she got herself into this situation. Like I was thinking, yeah, uh, we'd we'd be introduced to that, and then as it went along, and we sort of got that situation where she uh, sees the woman that keeps getting hit by the car. Yeah, which I'm I'm wondering, does she have a better or a worse, <laughs> you know, universe? Yeah, I know it's because yeah. she seemed to die for some reason, and she was living in fear the whole time. But anyway, uh, yeah, it. it it started to turn and get a little bit more sinister yeah. as it went on until the you know that revelation at the end. I think. Mm. Um, and how, how about you? Did you find any uh, scene that was re- like really stood out to you? Uh, I liked. I, well, yeah. There's a few, few, definitely lots and lots of really good things in this film from a filmmaker point of view. I think, and especially knowing that they did just shoot it, you know, one filmmaker. I sort of unfortunately did know that information going in to watch it. I think you might have actually told me. but it, So it did make me go, oh, wow, they've done that. And they've, oh, okay, that's why they've probably done that. And, oh, they really achieved some really cool stuff in this. Mm. Uh, I liked how um, Matthew decided to show some of the loops. So that first version of the loop, which I, I think is sort of, basically the inciting incident, so we'll come back to a bit, but it's like the never-ending stairs, mm, you know, so she yeah. just gets out of the attic or whatever and then she starts coming down the steps. And just the way that that was shot, that we had the, there was a shot of her feet going down a couple of steps and then kind of the camera descending steps and then back to her feet and then her face, but he kind of just put that on an actual loop and then she was becoming more more yeah. distressed because it's the never-ending stairs. And again, you're, as an audience, you're kind of like, oh, this is a bit of a nightmare because as an audience, we're so used to the next shot, the next shot, the next shot. We're being trained to look at the well, next shot. When I was and watching so, that, I actually thought they were going down a very long set of stairs. I mm-hmm. thought, oh, this is a bit mysterious. There's like yeah. a particularly long, a, a longer flight of stairs than you would expect yeah. from just descending one floor. Well, yeah, I, I kind of picked up, I think, pretty quick what was going on and I suppose I literally was getting frustrated and I and I thought about that and I he does it a couple of times in this film uh, I think it's also when she drives the car out in the countryside she gets to a road and it kind of like she go you don't even really see the car do a circle it's just she keeps coming up to the same intersection mm. and um he does that four or five or six times and I think he really pushed it and I believe and it'd be great if we could chat to Matthew about this but I sort of think he was trying to upset me, the the audience. Like I think he was actually yes. in other films like this, they might do something like that, but then they show you another shot, so it's like a it's more interesting for the audience. They might show us, you know, anything inside the car or the wheel or her steering or even her facial experience, expression from a different angle. But he chose to kind of show us that repetition to a point where it's almost like it's like ah, oh, it's 
oh, I want to see something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're the swiping generation now. We're, we're, it's a two-second, you know, chance on social media to grab someone's attention. So for a filmmaker to put in, like, her, her feet coming down the steps and then her feet coming down the steps, and you go, okay, well, that, I get it. She, it's a never-ending step. But to show it again and again, mm. you're, you're either an audience member that maybe that might make you stop the film. Right, and and that's a very um, bold move by Matthew because I think an audience could be like, oh, nah, this is too frustrating. I'm stopping this, but obviously it's something that he wanted to push his audience to, and um, I appreciated it because I I was feeling myself get frustrated, and I thought, well, that's what Jane would be like. That's what Jane would be feeling. She would be frustrated. Can you imagine going down a never-ending staircase? Yeah, when um, you know you're only one flight up, you know, oh, and, you especially know, it be like ten steps, and you're on the bottom floor, and you you just keep descending the same set of stairs. I think especially when she takes her gag yeah, off and right. leaves it there, and then she walks down and finds the gag there. Mm. But not only that, it's still around her neck, <laughs> and that's like, yeah, well, I can't. That doesn't even compute. No. How does how does that work? So yeah. that that was I did quite like that. I liked a couple of these. Uh, flashes that were done, which I'm um, right at the very start. She's struggling on the chair, bound and gagged. But then there was a, a quick, brief shot of her struggling on the chair as if she was bound and gagged, but there was no ropes yeah. on her hands and no gag on her. Mm. But then it, it quickly went back again. Like you'd yeah. blink and you'd miss it. Yes. But I, I saw that and I thought that was, and that was right at the very start, which mm. immediately, uh, you know, sets that scene of, you know, the issue here is not that she's bound and gagged. Yeah. Like that, I, to me, that's what it sort of said was there's something else at play here, which is the the actual um, struggle or the drama or the difficulty here is not being tied up. Yeah. Uh, because, well, here, here's a shot and she's not tied up. Mm. So you go, well, how does that even work? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And another cool thing I think from a filmmaker point of view as well is that, hey, it's COVID, it's lockdown, London is sort of deserted, like wherever you were maybe in the world. I mean, even Perth became really quiet, even though Perth is generally quiet. (laughs) You know, like we've seen those classic scenes uh, and I think of, and you know, I said the zombie film before, 28 Days, uh, you know, the Gillian, Cillian Murphy, you know, he kind of comes out of the hospital in London and there is those giant scenes of London empty, you know, which is bizarre. And, And that took those filmmakers, you know, a shit ton of money and a lot of organisation. Oh, they had to get and, a lot of coordination. You know, and I, I know there's another there's another film, Vanilla Sky, with Tom Cruise. And again, he's in New York, and he and uh, there's moments in that film where he's in New York, and there's nothing on the streets again. And they they shot they took over New York streets five a.m. on Sunday mornings for one hour over the course of a month to get that you know minute in the film of Tom Cruise walking down whatever street in Manhattan. Um, and I thought this is really clever that they've grabbed some moments in London and just shot it really quickly and it's empty, you know, mm. and there's there's suburban streets empty and there's city streets empty and, you know, it shows as filmmakers sometimes you just go take an opportunity, right? Like yeah. take an opportunity, grab a shot and, you know, in the, in the next moment there might have been someone walking down the street, you know, yeah, but just noticed- because it was locked down, there was, n- there was not enough people around. They didn't I, I the noticed there was a few... Select camera angles as well, which mm. were kind of upward facing or 
panning quickly, like almost as if yeah. you could imagine there was somebody walking yeah. along the street, and so he just he <laughs> just, just filmed just in front of them yeah. and then panned faster yeah, than yeah. they were walking. Yeah, so it looked like it was an empty street, even though in fact there's probably maybe maybe only a hundred meters empty in front of that That's person. Right. But it doesn't matter; it shows it you. It looks it looked empty. as empty as yeah. empty. Yeah. yeah. So I, I really liked a couple of things like that, and from a sci-fi point, that loop demonstrating the loop, which we learn more about as the film goes on. Why is this a science fiction film, sorry? Well, I mean, it answers, answers, it asks questions. Like it's asked this question here about the multiple world interpretation of quantum physics and the, you know, what that implication would be if mm. we could manipulate that at a macro personal scale. Yeah. Because it is, it's quite a, an abstract concept, this idea that there's a lot of different copies of us in spread across multiple worlds or whatever. Yeah. But you know, what does that look like? What might that mean? What if we could interact with that and how how would that affect individual people? Mm. I thought that was very interesting and it's, it's not a question there. Um, you, you can't use some other scenario as a, as a surrogate for that. You couldn't set it up as uh, it's not the effect of imperialism as demonstrated by quantum physics. Like that doesn't make any sense that, well, that would be an interesting film, wouldn't it? <laughs> Quantum physics imperialism, which is kind of what they're doing here. But, yeah. um, but the point is that you can't have a different genre here. You, you have to have the science fiction mm. as its genre because you can't tell a story or inquire about this opportunity or this situation in any other way without taking uh, a science element, you know, a theory or an idea or some postulation mm. and then pushing it to this extreme point and seeing how it plays out. Yeah. And that's sort of what these science fiction films are about is um, they often or almost always have some sort of a exploration of uh, an idea which is then you've got to push it on to some sort of something big and something obvious to mm. make it a story worth watching, you yeah. know, basically <laughs> is what yeah. comes down. It would be easy to sort of have a... a a story where there were aliens, but it's just a person. They see a, a brief flash of light in the sky, which could have been anything. But I don't know. Like that's not. There's there's no there's no story there. There's no. Just, that's just a person. Oh, I wonder what that was. Yeah, I guess it was unidentified. You know, like okay, no, you've got to have to have closing hands of the third kind, yeah. where people are being abducted and there's strange lights and someone's getting visions, and then they yeah. culminate on contact, a mountain right? yeah. with. A huge flashing alien in a spaceship, you know that you need that. Yes, you do. And and I mean, this film clearly uses a science, uh, a science element, and then takes it to that fictional extreme, mm. which we've seen in so many of the films we've looked at. So, it it is science taken to a because right now scientists can't, I hope, <laughs> develop parallel universes as an experiment like these guys. Well, we do. can't observe them. We can't observe them, but then even experiment on characters and if they could see the multiples in one and what they could do about that, right? Because that's kind of what Jane does. Yeah, they're, they're sort like of... Jane starts to control her reality because she has access to all the parallel... It's like That's also what this film is talking about, is like, could you actually access all of the variables at yeah, once? Yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting idea because... And that, and that actually mentions a couple of different science ideas yeah. with... The, you know the cosmology of quantum physics is how how do we observe things? What gives us consciousness, for example? Yeah, and is consciousness very deep? Uh, some sort <laughs> of you know emergent property of of multiple worlds in a quantum super 
in position, you know, such mm. that we're only observing through our own choice, if you like, one aspect of a manifold situation. Yeah, right. So would it be possible to actually just choose to observe other aspects? Yeah, like a TV show. Like yeah, a TV, I mean, sorry, like like a TV where we can well, change. Well, I was reading. There's one guy I was talking about this idea. Well, if I were to say, what's going to happen if I stand up and go over and turn the doorknob on the door? And then you listen to this would go, you'd, you'd be able to think, well, you'll stand up, you'll walk, you'll have to walk around this little stand we've got here that we've got our notes on, turn the handle, the door will open and I know you'll walk out. Yeah. But that hasn't happened, but you've been able to visualise it and suppose it. You have essentially had a little view into an alternate universe where I stand up, walk over and open the door. Yeah. You've, you've either generated that universe yourself mm. or you've looked in on it yeah right and what what if you could then you know d- is there a difference between you looking in on this other little universe of make-believe or it actually being a real universe you're looking in on yeah and then you know you have that ability to swap from observer to being a participant mm. so you're actually entering the other universes through your imagination i mean is, is that sort of the way consciousness, imagination and so forth works? Mm. Because a lot of animals don't seem to have a lot of imagination. No. Like it's they're, a they're, human thing, isn't it? Yeah there's, there's, yeah, there's some ideas of, you know, evidence here and there, but not you, you're not seeing, you know, orangutans build an e-diff from a Formula One car. No. They're just not. Or they've, they've, none of them have painted the Mona Lisa. So you've got to think that there's something extra there that humans have. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. So if you've checked out this film, what stood out to you in terms of the sci- sci-fi sort of element? What did, Was this a sci-fi film to you or was it a horror? Because it is a bit nightmarish. You've been telling me that you're planning on making a little short film. So yes. you, how's that process going for you? Well, that's it's a lot of education at the moment because it's one of those things where you sort of think, oh, yeah, yeah, you write a little script and I've I've taken videos with my camera before. Yeah. But the thing is, having been on a film festival uh, assessment committee, mm. I've seen a broad <laughs> spectrum it's a of very official Space Brain films. Assessment Committee title. And I've... You know, it's one of those things where when you watch a short film or, or a long film, whatever, there's, there's times you sort of go, this just didn't look great. Mm. And then you watch some other one and you go, this just looks great, mm. even though they could be very similar in content. Mm. And so when I was thinking, oh, there's this WA Made, which has got a you know, mobile phone category. film category, yeah. and I thought, well, I've got a mobile phone. I can do that. Yeah. In fact, you you have to just use your mobile phone to film it. You yeah. can do whatever post-production you wanted, but you can film it mobile phone. So I thought, well, I, I, I could take a stab at that. I can make a three-minute film, surely. Mm. Uh, that will only take me you know, six to 12 months. <laughs> so, but I thought, assessment. But I thought to myself, I want it to look good. Yeah. I want it to look like a really good effort from a first-time maker. Like a, I don't want someone to look at it and go, you you know, no, that's yeah. that's that's the worst kind of happy snap filmmaking possible. Mm. Uh, I want someone to go, oh, I can see that he's tried this and he's done this and he's, you know. So I jumped onto YouTube and there's, there's a couple of really great channels there and started watching mm. uh, filmmakers talking about um, – you know, someone like like really pared down. Here's the rule of thirds. Yeah. Uh, here's basic lighting. Like if you're gonna, and in fact, specific 
little articles about if you're making a sort of a, a very low um, cast or, or a low crew, as in you and an actor type film, mm. here's sort of how you can get some of the good looking stuff like camera, the total camera movements you can do without a gimbal and a drone and so forth and yeah, the yeah. lighting. And when I watched it, I was went, oh, that, that does make sense because a lot of them they'd show with all of the fancy stuff, like fancy stuff, you know, with all of the um, theory in practice and then like what maybe a first-time person would do. Yeah. And, yeah, sure enough, I looked at that going, yeah, I would have done it the first-time person way because I got no clue. Yeah. And when I was watching this film, uh, I could see a lot of these things being put into play, like some of the lighting, yeah, uh, the yeah. way shots were set up. Uh, marks were set and you know hit to to make sure that the the right things got in the frame, mm. uh, and so that I'm I'm doing that. It's this particular year you're supposed to make your short film around the theme of ghost, whatever that might mean. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to literally be a dead person. It could no. be the word ghost. But the, yeah. the whole point is they're just trying to. It's like um, it's giving you something to play with, and it kind of proves that you've made it for this film festival. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that's sort of what I'm, I'm looking to do it. I thought that would be an interesting exercise yeah, to get a into. Good creative exercise. So keep an eye out for some time. I will be doing a a call for an actor who <laughs> likewise wants to be in a short film that doesn't have any money. Yeah, well, we had a lot come to the film festival yeah, and yeah. obviously participate and be part of it. So yeah, so it could be, right? and, and I'm I'm thinking it will be a science fiction film mm. because that's the way it is. The science of ghosts. Yeah, ghosts. Well, machine ghosts. Yeah. It would be. Anyway. Sounds exciting. That is that is exciting. Have you got any further on filmmaking? No, I, f- I feel, and I've said this previously, a bit at ground zero, I think, but um, things are bubbling and there's going to be a bit more space and time coming in the next couple of months. So, yeah, I think it's going to be definitely time. But it, it's a little bit like probably what happened to Matthew and Tori here that sometimes the world throws you a bit of a um, or life throws you a bit of a curveball and so you've got to reassess and these guys took the opportunity of COVID and went and shot a film and I think that's probably where I'm at a little bit as well like just kind of where life is at the moment and and maybe yeah for me it's like reassessing and deciding okay yeah this is what I want to be doing which is also you can look at that in a really exciting way because it's sort of fresh start. Yeah, it could be a, a, a summer, a summer production for you. Yeah, that's right. So you know, just scrapping the plans I did think I, I, I the plans I thought I had, I've sort of thrown them out and start again. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Sometimes so, that's the way it's got to go. It's just the yeah. way it is. But anyway, it's all all things are bubbling along, which is great, and we are getting lots of entries for yes, the I film festival. Actually, they're rolling a, in. <laughs> a couple more the other day so, came yep, in. So yep. that's that's. I'm very excited by that because I I'm too. very keen to start watching through these and mm. select doing the selection process. For that won't sure. that won't be for a little while yet. No. Yep. Uh, we're lining yep. up, uh, you know, a very exciting venue yep. and uh, reassessing the way we did the workshops. So the workshops yep. are very popular, but we've gotten some feedback. And we think we can do better. Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we just want to keep it fresh and revamp and yeah. do do it a little bit differently. But, yeah, if you're out there, the main call for action right now is if you're out there, you know, get cracking on your film, like Surrey's planning to make a film for a different film festival, well, you're the same. If you're out there, you've got a bit of time. The festival's in June, but don't sit on your butt too much. And people are already submitting, so we're in the yeah. early submission stage. 
if you're just hearing this for the first time, uh, and and it is still September 2022, and it's not September 2023, you've got time, but get cracking. So we'd love to see your science fiction films. And if you're someone that is local, like in Mandra, there is a whole category for you, baby. Oh, yeah. I even spoke with the local high school principal Mm. the other day and and handed over a card and said, look, you know, we do this, particularly we have a, a student County youth category yeah, yeah. and a local Mandra category. Mm-hmm. So someone from the media department, you know, studies of this high school yeah. college would qualify for both. Yeah, for sure. So, and so, yeah, so now's the time to get cracking. Film freeways where you can get, you know, all your information and where you actually submit space brains, uh, you know, hit us up on the socials and on the website to learn more about it. Uh, and the festival is planned for June in 2023 in Mandra. It'll be a physical fe- festival, so you're going to have the opportunity to come along and potentially, if your film is picked, see it on the nice big screen. Oh, look, yeah, the, the filmmakers who made it along uh, were very pleased. They had a great to, time. To get, that, great time. get the physical feedback <laughs> of, of the viewers. That's and, right. of course, some of them got little trophies to get to walk away with, yeah. which is great. And as a filmmaker, it's great to go to those events. So actually the film I acted in, which is very rare for me, but that mo- that was a mobile phone film that was part of the WA-made film festival this year. It's been selected for the Rockingham Film Festival, yeah. so which is in October. So there's going to be another screening. Very exciting to go to screenings, whether cool. you're an actor or a filmmaker. So, uh, yeah, get your film made, get it in there, and we look forward to having a look at it. Yes. So but- let's get into a bit about the plot. Sorry. Bit of the plot. And some of the details. As I said, this is a nightmare on the screen. However you look at it, I really felt like it is a nightmare. But we need to go through some of the narrative points that will get us there. So we'll have a look at plot. We'll talk about some of the techniques. We've already been talking about them, but we'll kind of grab some of them along the way. Uh, And as I said before, I think if you're a beginning filmmaker, hopefully you've watched it already by now, but if you're a beginning filmmaker... Or you're just striving like Surrey's deciding to make a mobile film. Hey, this is a filmmaker. Um, he has made feature films before this as well mm. and short films and been involved in TV shows in Britain. Uh, and here he took the opportunity of COVID. Everything's locked down. The industry's paused. But, hey, I still want to make something. Here's an opportunity. I've got a phone. I've got a – we all walk around with these little micro computers in our pockets these days with – sound recording, video recording, and publishing and editing record uh, capabilities, why don't you go make something, you know? I think I will. Yeah, do Let's it. do it. <laughs> so this uh, was written, directed, most things by Matthew <laughs> Butler Hart. Pretty much it's one of those credits was just Matthew Butler Hart. Matthew the things Butler that Hart. weren't Matthew were Tory. Tory. <laughs> uh, and right. then there was some, a couple little uh, features in there by Ian McKellen. Yeah. Gandalf. Gandalf is in this. We've got Conleth Hill, who's Lord Varys from uh, Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, and oh, that's really it. Yeah, As that's, that's, that's it. That's the, and I think Wendy, which Tori and Matthew can correct us, but, yeah, I don't know. She's a relative, I think, in there or Wendy child. Wendy Muirhart. <laughs> I'm not sure. Anyway, um, yeah. and this was shot in uh, or released, sorry, in March 2021 
And it, they they have publicly said it was an experimental film, you know, making a film on an iPhone during yeah, lockdown. Yeah, it's, it's there, there were a couple of people. So edited by William Honeyball, music by Tom Kane. And then there was some production companies in there. We better mention them as well. Fizz and Ginger Films. Which is probably Matthew it's and Tori. probably Matthew and Tori. <laughs> but uh, maybe not. And but, Amazon seem to they seem to get it sold or distributed yeah, by I Amazon mean, one, online. I, well, so. I think it helped they had Ian and Conlath in there. Yeah, both uh, of them are being. If Ian McKellen wants to get in touch and do a bit of a vocal appearance on Space Rains, why not? Yeah, why not? Well, you might be able to get him in your film. Yeah, he's up I'm for gonna, mobile. Films. I will. Yeah, give him, I, send him an email. Hopefully, not as a ghost. <laughs> Well, he could be the he ghost. Could be, he could be the ghost. The, the that ghost would be really the machine. awesome. Remember um, Tao, how, um, uh, yeah, Gary, is it Gary? Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, he's the voice, right? Yes. Like it's a brilliant voice. So Yes, love it. I'll, I'll ask Gary Oldman as well. Why yeah, not? Yeah, why not? So we do like to break the narrative down and just to have a quick run through uh, into some key block plot points. And these are plot points that you can find from all good story and script writing sort of books and teachers that are out there. Go check them out if you are a writer or a filmmaker and want to learn more about, you know, what happens in or how to make a feature film script. And what that means is it's basically a three-act structure and that is then broken down into what some of those teachers call beats, others called scenes, but pretty much just some specific moments in the plot. What happens in Act 1, sorry? Act 1 is the introduction and the opening image. It shows us the world as it is at the start of the film, where we're coming from, uh, which gives us a great little contrast for what happens later on in the film where things start changing. But before they change... We get uh, a bit of a, a setup and a catalyst moment. So this is the inciting incident. I like to think of this is this is the moment where, as the audience, you go, "Ah, this is what this film is about." Or maybe it's a you could look at it as a question that Act Two needs to start answering. Uh, in any case, it's a change in the. Uh, main character, usually a main character, but it, it is a change in the world that must be addressed. Yes. Change. And then there's a bit of debate, you know, how best to address this change, you know, how to react. Should I, you know, do A or B? And uh, mm. one of those paths will lead into a bigger story and the other path will lead to, you know, stasis. Yes. Uh, luckily they all seem to go to break into two. <laughs> They're going to act Two, which is what? What's that all about? Well, I think you described the beginning really well. As in, yeah, we've chosen this journey. The character has chosen, as you said. If they don't, yeah, they go back to bed. Yes, uh, or they die. You know, or whatever it is, right? So, yeah, they have to choose a journey, and they do that. And Act Two is basically then, well, what happens on that journey? You know, it's so it's some teachers, and I like always like this expression from Blake Schneider. It's the fun and games, the trailer of the film. So this is what we get now for a good, you know, 30 minutes or so in a feature film. We get lots of, okay, they're going on this journey and what are all the ups and downs of that? And it it could be a bit silly. Even in a most serious film, this is where you might get a little bit of comedy or, you you know, romance is blossoming, relationships are developing, the job is going well, the sports team is winning the games. Um, and pretty much that's what it is. It's it's them on the journey. You know, if they're literally climbing a mountain, it's success, it's climbing, it's seeing the, you know, the beautiful bird at some level of the mountain, you know, it's seeing a sunrise and it's the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. And so... That's what it's all about in the fun and games. And we get then to about a middle point uh, of the story and 
they've been on that journey and something needs to now happen where it's a bit more of a smack in the face and it is then like, oh, I thought this journey was about this when it's actually about that. And you mentioned earlier, like in Groundhog's Day, Bill Murray kind of has to go, oh, yeah, I'm just now stuck in this loop. That's mm. really the midpoint of Groundhog Day. Like he, he's had some fun and games of oh, kind yeah. of playing with that world and then now it's like, oh, hang on. I am actually just waking up. Is this is this a nightmare? That's his yeah. midpoint, is, right? Is this like, everything? Is this it, it, it appears to be. Yeah. I'm, I'm stuck. Yeah. So sometimes like that and quite often the midpoint is a little bit on the darker side and it leads the character down into some bleakness. If it's a film like Die Hard, it's Bruce Willis kind of realising what kind of stakes he's up against and how serious this these stakes are. And, in fact, in Die Hard it's... Uh, Hans realizing that his wife is in yes. the building, and you and being able to utilize the wife against Bruce Willis, so he's got like a card up his sleeve. Good old Hans. <laughs> um, so yeah, and that leads us to things like the bad guys close in, so things kind of getting worse. So all is lost, maybe moment. Uh, Dark Night of the Soul. Something in here may die as well, or someone, or something, or a dream. You know, depending on the film. And really it gets to a point where things are pretty pear-shaped for the main character and this is where they have to dig really deep and go decide if they want to keep going. You know, mm. do I keep going on this journey or do I quit, really? Yeah, and I, that's the way the I've always thought about it. Like, even when they're up against Hans in Die Hard, he could just quit and flee the building. You know, the police are downstairs, you know. So... Does a character, or, you know, like I said, a character climbing a mountain, they're not yet at the top of the mountain, do they just quit? Do they actually just quit? Yeah, it's and gotten go too back? hard. Yeah, like had things gotten too hard? And hopefully if they make that decision, which takes all the courage and everything they've learned, that they go, oh, no, I'm going to carry on. They push, and that goes to Act 3. Sorry. They push through to Act 3, which is, you know, funny enough, it's the finale. Yeah. It's where they... They, you know, gird their loins, as it were. They, they gather their resources, make a plan maybe, mm. or they, they, they push for that final push for the summit. Yep. And they don't quite make it. You, you, can't, oh. you can't just have the very first <laughs> idea that they have succeed. No. Because if it was that easy, they would have succeeded already. Mm. So that you always have some sort of hiccup along the way there where it suddenly turns it around a little bit and says, oh, hold on, not as easy as you thought. Yeah. But that's important because as people watching it, we want, we don't want things to be easy. I, I read a book once where this, the story had no reversal. Yeah. It was just, you know, um, they got this, oh, here's this difficulty. Oh, no, what are we going to do? Everything seems hard. Oh, well, we'll how about we do X, Y, Z? And you go, oh, it's not going to be that easy. No, they just did like yeah. X, Y, Z and it all <laughs> just worked out. And it's like yeah. I felt like, oh. The climax so that give it to you. What's going on there? That's just yeah. a complete letdown. So there's always, a, there's always, or should always be something which makes it a little bit harder than it should be. Mm, it yep. could be, um, it could be a, a literal reversal of you know a fight where you're bashing down the bad guy and then suddenly they pull something out and do something mm. nasty, or it could be along those lines of where you think you're you're winning, but now there's actually a new stake. You know, the um, mm. uh, Hans Gruber has his wife at gunpoint right there when the building's about to blow up. You yeah. know, like, oh, okay, now that's even a lot harder than he originally thought yeah. it was going to be. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, he, he learns something and grows. The, the main character 
makes use of all of their experience of the film mm. and pulls something off uh, or something happens to them. But it, it has some relevance to the previous parts of the film. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, what was again, point? it's kind of a deus ex machina, I think. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of pulling magic out of your butt to, to make the story happen, mm. which shouldn't be done very, you know, unless you're like incredibly clever. But we're not. <laughs> Don't assume we're that clever. Uh, and then we have the final image, which is how, you know, after the final reversal and the actual climax, we have the final image which shows what this world is now at the end of the film, how it's mm. changed or what's different about it. And that's that's basically it. Yeah, that's our well, I mean, once you've, once you've done that, you've, you've made a hit movie. You have. Simple. It's a total hit. It's a recipe. Simple. <laughs> Simple. And just talk to people in Hollywood how that's, that's why all movies are raging successes right. and everyone loves every <laughs> single one of them. Yes. Yeah, that's it. So, But quite often good stories will have that, the, a lot of those common beats to them and, and we seem to, I mean, now we've looked at 89 films, probably the better ones do hit those marks a lot closer and then it's about doing them in interesting original yeah, ways and, as well. Yeah, and there's that's also the there's all ways like, you know, when you have the bad guys closing in all these lost dark night of the soul, yeah, it's you're getting the right balance of being bad enough mm. that you go, oh yeah, that's bad, mm. but not so bad that you you know turn the tone of the film over, yeah, and yeah. you're going, this was a romantic comedy, but now it feels like <laughs> like a, a you know yeah, it's a, a horror, a you know, nihilistic portrait of suicide or something. You're like, <laughs> yeah. this is dreadful. It's the, um, the tone has to also be, but you go the other way because if you do have a nihilistic portrait of a suicide. But it's kind of a little bit happy mm. too much. Then you're going, hang on, I was expecting to really cry and feel sick and unpleasant about this, and instead, no. And and maybe that's what Matthew and Tori were aiming for, because this film is quite bleak. Oh, it is. <laughs> so I mean, the look of it's not very, not completely bleak. Uh, it's actually really looks really natural, and the fact they shot on, shot on an iPhone, I think, sort of demonstrates that. But the world, the you know, the world we're in, the story mm. world, is extremely bleak, especially for this poor Jane. So, opening images, we have some sort of documentary style shots of uh, Gandalf, Gandalf uh, is- telling us the science, telling us a bit about the setup of this. Parallel universe idea. Yeah, I reckon if I was getting Ian McKellen in there, I would have got him to say, "You shall not pass," <laughs> in some way. In some way. Uh, yes. I don't know if that's copyrighted, but that might be literally copyrighted. Uh, you by might the have Lord to. You might have to change like, up a little bit. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a documentary thing for uh, witness. You know, it's got like a little you know logo mm. emblem, which is a triangle with radiating yeah. lights or something from it. And he's talking about, straight up he's talking about um, an experiment and the possibility of expanding human capabilities. And we had to, you know, we we, uh, we found these multiple worlds and they're at war mm. or something funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, we, and we get into cut then with someone running, like puffing and... Yeah. Being, you expect being chased, there's flashlights about yeah. the place. Seemed like military or police were chasing Yeah, which, which ties in well with what the scientists are saying about, you know, there's this conflict yeah. and they, they found that the conflict is actually what's allowed them to study mm. this phenomenon this, like, and they've got to maintain this conflict. Yeah, and so we, we do, you're right, we sort of have these quick cuts in with them 
going from the scientists into this world and then we cut to uh, it's as though someone's been caught and then that then continues to cut to this woman who's tied up mm. in an attic or something. Um, and, and I believe that it's we're, we're showing that it's an alternate UK because yeah. it's sort of a London skyline but the lighting's a bit funny yeah. and there's airships. Yes. Which, <laughs> which everyone, always, loves, uh, everyone loves that airships. Always it's, the obvious way that we're not cool. in our current. But, but <laughs> having airships, that kind of to me indicates maybe that World War Two was a bit different yeah, yeah. and that we didn't have the Zeppelin-Hindenburg disaster. Yep. Which, you know, so that, that straight up tells you there's a different path here. Some mm. spark didn't spark and... Cause that Hindenburg to explode. Yeah. And now we use airships. Yes. Because we still use airships. They're cool. Yeah, they're awesome. A very good way of transporting lots of cargo. Yeah, I mean, it's just that just we have. Highly inefficient. We just have better ways of doing it now <laughs> because. But that's probably because we just didn't develop yeah. airships. Anyway. There you go. Uh, but she's, yeah, she's tied up. There's a woman in a suburban house. Uh, she's tied up in an attic. Mm. Uh, she, she comes through, she's panicky a bit, and she's. Struggles to try and free herself, uh, and and she does. She knocks herself down and undoes her legs, and then her hand her hands stay bound. I notice, but she pulls a gag down, and she's at first she's panicky and confused, and and then we get like a security camera view of yeah, her, yeah. and we know it's security camera because it's a sort of low quality and it's got lines on it, mm. which is one of these funny things that that's become the trope of security yeah. cameras, <laughs> even though. Security cameras, particularly if you're doing a scientific, uh, you know, study, you'd presumably use very high definition. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? I mean, the iPhone they use to film this is in 4K. Yeah. <laughs> why wouldn't you have security cameras? I know, we talked 4K? about this with the previous film, didn't we, um, a few episodes back, and it was the same thing when, you know, modern day cameras wouldn't be doing that and even internet reception's a lot better. And But it's, but it's, the it's trope, an expectation. Like, because yeah. as soon as you see that sort of... Uh, low, um, you know, low saturation or desaturated sort of view with that the interlaced lines. You know, it's a security camera. Yeah, yeah. And she's being monitored. She's being monitored, mm. and and it, I guess it's also in this context we know, and it reinforces that it's like scientists or research lab that's watching her. It's yeah, not I like a, some, it's not a serial killer. There's it's, a bit of a voice. There's always over, a difference there. Voiceovers you hear. There's this indistinct like scientist talking. words talking about subject one, yeah. but yeah, like this. Yeah, multiple sort of sound voices like that. And what I notice here from a storytelling or tech, tech point of view is after one of the you know the first flash, so she gets herself off. And but then gets flash flash and she's tied up again, just when she's because at this at this loop she gets a bit more rational and kind of calm. Yeah. But it starts when it goes flash and she appears back there. The shot is a camera is low to the ground looking in a mirror, seeing her, which, as as we should all know, when you use reflections to show the main action, mm. then you're sort of indicating there's there's a barrier here, there's something strange, yeah. uh, maybe there's a different world or a different yeah. view. Um, and it could just be that uh, you're, you're trying to indicate that maybe the character's viewpoint is not 100% correct. Yep. Yeah. And, and it, you're even, uh, and the classic one is that, the first Spider-Man with William Defoe, you know, in the Green yeah. Goblin, how he talks to himself in the mirror. Yes. And, you know, Sam Raimi did that and William Defoe, that brilliant acting scene. If you if you want to be an actor, go check out that scene. 
where he jumps from being, I don't know, the doctor's name. Do you know what the doctor's name is? Whatever the doctor's name is. No, and then to the Green Goblin and he slowly becomes, and they just cut it so that it's like he's having that conversation with himself. And and that is the perfect example of also what a mirror does symbolically mean in film, which is like the mirror is a reflection. It's Mm. not real. It's a construction. It's It's an alternate version of oneself. Yeah. Uh, you look at yourself in the mirror, it's not actually you in the mirror, it's your reflection. And so it's you're exactly right. And they did he does this repeatedly in this film, doesn't he? He shows us the reflections. Yeah, and including off water as well, which again is yeah, one of these it's another one. Uh, yeah, portal sort of yeah. views, which is kind of cool. And and I you know, I've been keeping my eye on this because I, I have been doing a lot of research yeah. at the moment about how to do film because I'm trying to find the the most effective ways of giving that cinema uh, cinematographic cinematic <laughs> cinematic is the word cinematic view rather than just like some bloke with a phone yeah which is fine but you know because that's what yeah. i am but yeah. i would like to try and do these things and and that's one way of doing it is weird angles and and mirrors and water and symbols, that sort of thing. Sorry, symbols. symbols, add in the symbols. That's what they call it. So we're pretty much in this setup, I found, sorry, that we kind of have that loop. I think it happens about three times yeah, it by a few memory. Times, yeah. um, and it's pretty much her getting off the chair. As you say, each time as well she, uh, you know, so it's the Groundhog Day kind of lock. She's, um, sorry, the Groundhog Day loop. And she's sort of tied up, falls off, kind of tries to get herself free and then wakes up again. She's tied up again, falls off. She does it a bit faster, kind of gets out, looks out the window. She gets a bit of a split image at one moment, I think, Mm, very quickly, like looking out the mirror. Burning flames. Yeah, flames and soldier with a gun. And again, you don't really see everything, but you sort of hear things. And then it kind of comes back to this reality. When she does look out the window, we do see like a very deserted English suburban street, I would describe it as. But there's no, it doesn't seem to be anyone around. And yeah, I think she went through the loop three times. And it's like, I'm pretty sure is that third time, this to me is the catalyst because she she kind of has that moment of like, oh, if I, if I get a bit worked up, it resets itself. Yeah. She doesn't understand the process. We don't understand the process audience. But to me, that was kind of the catalyst. Yeah, and she's doing sit-ups, a bit of exercise. Yeah. You know, which is if you're a prisoner. And quite tellingly, her hands are still bound at this point, mm. which again, I think is a bit of a symbol of her not being quite in control free, of herself. Yeah, she, she's yeah. not free yet. She yeah. She's not in Act 2 yet. Yeah. She doesn't unbind her hands until she's in Act 2 and she can have some fun and games. Yeah. <laughs> but, she, yeah, she spots, spots the hatch uh, in the floor and yeah. she goes down those stairs and then she goes down the stairs again. We get to get a little flash and and, and she stairs, realises yeah. <laughs> that she's been going down the stairs a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so she takes her little gag off and puts it there as a reminder just to see, is this the same stairs I'm going down or yeah. just really long staircase? Mm. And sure enough, she goes down and she comes down and there's her gag there. But then she checks around her neck, is the gag still? The gag so, you, you, you know, okay, this is something really not ordinary is yeah. going on here. This is not just uh, her brain making things up. There's something very strange happening. Yeah, and I think in that moment she loses her cool and that's when it resets itself all again. Yes. And there's also in that reset time she's tied up again that 
It's as though she knows where the steps are. So it's like she's kind of been given that, like she already knows the answer to the yes. next bit. And so then she quickly goes and opens it up again and goes down the steps. And this time when it flashes, though, she then is walking up the steps. Yeah. Out of the basement. <laughs> yeah. And this, this other thing is where we're getting to Act 2. Yeah. Because she's, you know, the, the catalyst is there that we've been introduced to uh, the idea that she's, you know, trapped, but that she's not trapped ordinarily. Like there's some sort of a loop, there's some sort of play going on here. Yeah, well, it's, to me it's almost like um, Super Mario Brothers, the video game, you know, like you, it's almost like if you fall down that hole, you go yeah. back to the start. That's what it felt like. Like it almost felt like a computer game to me. Yeah, she hadn't learned She the hadn't learned step. the rules yet. Like she, you have to, oh, you need to, you know, press your controller a particular way to jump over the hole and then you don't have to fall down the gaping hole in the floor yeah, get and eaten by the plant yeah, or you know, whatever, whatever. Thing I, like, you're like, oh that's how it works like that you have to jump over the plant and so yeah it felt to me that that her realizing that with the steps was her realizing like the rules of the game one thing that i noticed in particular when she's coming into you know up out of the basement stairs yeah. in which is as, as we said sort of act two is there's um, little bits of old music which do remind me of you know, British war films or films mm. in that era is that that was the sort of 1940s music playing. But she walks past a, a rather prominent picture of some lions. Mm. Yeah, she which, does, doesn't that's right. Yeah, the, which I, I thought because, again, this is one of those things where this is you know, the choice of decor yeah. was intentional. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which, which I think because it could have been a, a, a countryside scene. Or something, but instead it was like lions looking, you know, yeah. strongly towards the camera. Mm. This this idea of this predatory um, danger yeah. going on, and she goes into the other room and hears voices. Yeah, well, and I things. think that in that hallway where the lions, mm. you see the front doors all barricaded. Yes, and then there's like it's like there's noise, and it sounds like soldiers on the outside. Oh, we'll check the front door, and the door sort of rattles, mm. or the noise of the door rattles again. Very clever, cheap filmmaking there. Total sound, you know, like that's yeah. probably Matthew being the voiceover, and even Tori again because it sounded like there was a male and female yeah. voice. Oh, we'll check the front door. Oh, it's not. Oh, it's locked. Oh, that's great. And you hear the footsteps, you know. Yeah. And it's really great independent filmmaking that, yeah. like because she she panics, she hops down. Um, you don't need another actor. You just no. Tori can still hold the scene, and it's just uh, and that's just done in post anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. As a as a number of those sorts of things were there was and yeah, yeah. And it's interesting here because now when we're talking fun and games, we're talking about exploring this concept of this being. Um, we already know that she sort of resets. We don't know the nature of that, but by given that scene where she had the gag around her neck and the gag there, yeah, you're going, oh, we, we expect some play off this. Yeah. And we do. Sure enough, she, she like you suggested with a computer game, she sort of solves the, the puzzles as yeah. she goes along. She she goes in and she dings the piano and hears some stuff and um, doesn't doesn't do much. She yeah, wanders. Like there's a piano, there's like someone else plays the piano, right, mm. which she had done in the previous version. Yeah, and then she's... She finds she finds a way outside and finds a car. Yeah, no keys. And so yeah. then she goes inside and we get some weird flashing, and she sees herself picking up the keys. Yeah, yeah. And you know, looking a little bit 
quizzical. She wanders out, opens up the granny flat or the garage, wherever it is, takes the keys off the hook with his little blood smear. Yeah. And continues on. And we, we sort of get little extra steps further along mm. each time as we go yeah. through until we get that, uh, the, the really great one where she goes down and she goes into the granny flat. I don't know what there's like a little yeah, office, little, side office thing. Yeah. And she doesn't have the bandage on her arm, her hand. No. But while she's sort of pulling out compass and whatever, she cuts herself and goes, mm. ah, and wraps that rag around her hand and she goes, picks up the keys and leaves the blood smear. Yeah. So you're not just getting uh, multiple takes, but they're out of order. Yeah. Or certain things haven't happened in some takes. Yeah. Which, again, is giving you that idea that this this isn't just looping sequentially. It's not the same thing looping. It's just very similar things looping. Mm. And, and and so this is all the fun and games, isn't yeah, it? This yeah. is all the kind of trailer moments of the film, you know. And she each time she's trying to start the car and it won't start. And so then one time she does venture off down the road. Again, we have the empty streets. Mm. Uh, she's walking and walking and trying to figure out via a map where to get to. And suddenly it's like soldiers are on top of her. And this is where we do get the researchers, don't we? We get the researchers telling us... Um, Oh, it's something like if the subjects veer too far. Yes. And so it's like she kind of has a reset. Like, and, and this is where, for me, it was like, oh, right, she's in this weird game thing which mm. she's trying to get out of it. Again, to me, the context of like Super Mario Bros. is like, oh, you can't venture that far. You've gone to the boundary of yeah. the game or something. Um, and it resets and, again, she reminds herself of the keys and and then this time the car starts and it's, to me, that was kind of the we're getting to the midpoint because when the car starts, um, it's it's her realizing that she can sort of because she remembers the walking and the walking not working, and seeing those different things with the keys. That now the car starts. It's it's like she knows that she. It's like she can actually access this control of the other bits of the world. Yeah, her, her other. The other bits that have already, and I think the impression at this point in time is, it's all the versions. I was thinking it's all the versions she's already done. Yeah, but we know we learn later that in fact no, it's maybe accessing the other versions at the once. Yeah, like you were saying before about opening the door. Yeah, and I, I think the for me the midpoint there was a very particular reset. So she drove along and kept getting stuck at that intersection. Right. Yeah, over and over, yeah. over, and she gets upset, and then. There's a particularly um, long-lasting flash on the screen and then she wakes up and we get a bit of a voiceover, which I wrote a little bit down. Yeah, yeah. Which it says something along the lines of because I, I was touch typing as fast as I could <laughs> so I might have missed a couple words here and there. But it says um, repetition of the same day allows us our constant. Being able to reset the subject when they reach a mental or emotional peak. Mm. Uh, this allows the subject to see glimpses of other days and eventually controlling reality. Yeah. Which, yeah so that is the midpoint, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that's the midpoint because that's when she she gets in the car uh, and immediately starts because she knows how to do this now and she drives off and she gets out into the country mm. Finally, and we actually see a bird, which is the first living creature we've seen, mm. which to me was that sort of symbol of freedom. Like she's attained that; she's no longer 
bound to the house, mm, yeah, which yeah. indeed I, I, she kind of does go back, but we don't see that again. We don't no. see her doing that. We always catch up with her kind of back driving out the was, country. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. she's out in the country now and trying to find this witness. Can, yeah, she's found some documentation in the car mm. and she's seen the, the logo somewhere else and so she decided... Yeah. She didn't do it. She has this walkie-talkie, and she she's talking to other versions of herself yeah. <laughs> on there, which is which is interesting. It never directly reveals that, except yeah. it sounds like her on the other yeah, end. Yeah. And the conversations are they're a little bit disjointed. Yeah, they're not quite flowing, which gives you the feeling that it is maybe herself. maybe the herself on the other end is not exactly responding to the herself that's talking no, to her. It's like. No. She says one thing in the walkie-talkie, but maybe the other self hears a different version. And so when they respond, she's hearing back a different, a different response. Yeah. Yeah. Part of the nightmare, really. <laughs> so she's on the country. She get They do the loop. Again, it's sort of like the loop is stuck. It's stuck. Yeah, and she, she, gets, to, she gets walking she gets, out in the country and finds yep. the, the V-dub yeah, camper, yeah. Yep. which, uh, yeah, there was some imagery there of the streams and, and so on. Mm. Uh, and I'm noticing that... She seems to spend a lot of time. It seems to loop with her at dusk or dawn yeah, right. every time, which I happen to know is because of lighting. Oh, because you if you've got the magic hour, yeah. If if you've just got because I was watching this particular YouTube clip, uh, you know, tutorial about doing, you know, you're the only crew, so you've got an actor and a camera, mm. and that's it. How do you? Do this, and one of the things I said is, yeah, make use of that sunset, sunrise, that dawn, dusk yeah. lighting, because then you don't need an expensive lighting rig because the lighting's actually quite nice. Yes, and particularly if you then get like the, you can start with the sun just peeking up, mm. and so you can get some nice, strong, sharp shadows, mm. but then you also get that sort of um, dawn yeah, light, light. And yeah, it's, the, it's called the magic hour. Yeah, so light. I noticed that this, she's wandering. Most of her outdoor scenes are at that time. Mm. They but, chose the magic hour. Yes, but they keep looping her to that time. So, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of works in. It's not just um, – and you wouldn't notice it if, if you weren't thinking about it, I think, but I was. So we've got the it, – it's a good tip there as well. Um, so we've got the kind of the moments someone dies and we get this version of her on the road. Yes, I yes. Guess, as you mentioned before, getting run over yeah, maybe she, every time. The funny thing is though, <laughs> The perversion on the road doesn't look like she's doing the right sort of thing no. on the road. Like no. she runs forward and goes up on her tippy toes and then crouches down as if she's hiding, but like she's just in the middle of the road. Yeah, yeah. And then she looks around at the, the van and uh, the first time she swerves off the side, but the woman's gone and yeah. she loops a bit and has to come back. And, and then finally she goes, no, nah, it's not real, it's not real. And yeah, it goes, goes through and, yeah, she doesn't hit anyone. Yeah. Which t- turns out where, when we see that version in her reality that, yeah, she dies there anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I can only imagine she's the version that always dies. Yeah. <laughs> like, like how cruel is that? Because she, she's crashing behind the wall and she shoots a gun and off in, at someone. Yeah. And then she gets hit by a van that doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that's shit happens, world, isn't it? Yeah. That's her nightmare. Yeah. But that's, yeah. Like I said, is that. Is that worse or better? I don't know. I don't know. But, yeah, she reaches the grounds of this research facility, um, university or whatever it is. Yeah, big mansion. Big mansion place. Um, what a great-looking place that is. I know, the the doors and I'm wondering if that was a school. I felt like it was probably a university or something. Yeah, like, which is why it was me. empty yeah. because 
Yeah, you know, Tori and, and uh, Matthew would have just called up and said, I noticed that classes are all closed because there was uh, even a computer lab and, and a little chapel and things. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, also quite often universities can be very open to allow people to film and take photos. And oh, yeah, why not? It's kind of half public. It's not public property, property, but it kind of half is, you know. And maybe this is as well. Maybe you're allowed to just wander around this place. Yeah. So you can just kind of walk there with the well, iPhone and who cares. They had no other visitors no. in there, so why not? <laughs> so she does find this place and, yeah, there's like she has that photo, doesn't she, of the researcher, Colin? Yeah, yeah. We And we do get a bit more of these sort of more and more now we're getting overlaps. Yeah. So we see her... You know, she goes in and she hears an organ blast and he goes, oh, what's going on? And she yeah. runs and investigates and it's her going yeah. up there and she finds the organ and hits the keyboard yeah. and then the one downstairs that you can see sort of reacts. Yes. And, yeah, she goes through and she's more and more now that she's getting these weird sort of flashes which show a particular doorway. Yeah. Which she finally manages to get down to that corridor. Yeah, and sees the actual door. And finds this doorway and it's locked. But she sits back and concentrates Thinks, for a bit yeah. and it goes click and she opens it up and she you know steps in and she glimpses a bunch of different mm. realities. You know, so yeah. she sees the dancing. Yeah. And you know, props to you, Tori, you look like a good dancer. Yes. And because <laughs> you know they couldn't afford to buy a, a, a body double so they no. Actually, had Tori dancing, fantastic. And there's researchers, and so researchers there, and then the the monster the in monster. the dark. That's quite which I thought, frightening. I thought, even though you don't see it, was like a lion. You know, so going yes. back to that picture of the lion, so that sort of foreshadowing that you had the portrait of the lions, and then it was kind of like a lion, but you just saw the yeah. eyes. But the the thing that I like here, this is she does find her DVDs. Uh, of you know, like DVDs, really? Yeah. 2021, they must have really searched hard for a DVD. Uh, well, that's why I think it's probably a school. Mm. The school probably still has like VHS. Library still. You know, one of those rolling <laughs> roll, stands with yeah. the, the TV on yeah. top. And the, Got to still have one of them it's somewhere. padlocked on mm-hmm. there, yeah, yeah. because he's, someone's going to steal it. Mm. Well, it's probably worth money now. It's like a vintage. But, yeah, she finally finds her way into that crossroads yeah. where she sees herself, you know, looking far more relaxed and refreshed and quite comfortable sort of curled up on this chair reading a book and talks to her and talks to a few other versions of Jane that can't be seen. Yes. But, yeah, talks to her and and says, oh, yes, I've seen you before and I'll see you again a few more times, I'm sure. Uh, Yeah, you're the one that can't, um, who's who's always lost. Always lost. Always lost. It's very depressing. Yeah, and and she's like, you know, a bit wide-eyed and and there's some, she's, gets obviously emotional peak, she she's freaks out and clips back and sure enough she's kind of repeating again all of this sort of yeah. thing. We we get some more sort of um, documentary snips there talking about the, the fact that there's multiple universes and then we get credits. Yeah, well, no, we get the one where she says, doesn't she say something like she, she gives in and then they say, oh, well, subject unknown, see subject unknown. So it's like they shut it down. Uh, yes. I don't, I don't know exactly what the wording was. And then she kind of looks at camera and that's, then it's cut to credits. Uh, disconnect subject yeah, is disconnect the last subject, word. Yeah, that's, that's it, the yeah. last word. So, yeah. so it's like, she's been told that the loop, it, her loop is the nightmare. She wants to fight that one last time. She asks to get out and then it's like subject disconnect. Yeah. Which, so, which I'm not sure what that actually does means. It, 
does that mean now she's not going to leave anymore? So she's not, yeah. gonna, but she is lost all the time. Yeah. Oh, but but again, it felt like a nightmare because but, it's like, well, is she never well, <laughs> get out of the nightmare? I know. Th- well, this is that that bit where it really hit me because it was again where I thought uh, normally in these looping things we see the protagonist struggle through to break the loop. They they yeah. somehow change something about their lives or existence and you know improve. And in this one here, and, and you've got to think, of course, if you do have these multiple worlds, there's got to be a path that will be led, which is crap, mm. and, and always crap. and always crap. crap. Yeah. yeah, you've got yeah, you got the ones where she's successful and where she learns things and is happy and all the rest of it. But this is the one that didn't get those mm. benefits. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that brings us to the end of the actual plot points uh, of the film. So where did you put this onto a bit of a viewing schedule with the other Space Brain films that we've had a look at? Uh, with the other ones, well, I uh, I actually want to put in with uh, uh, one that we haven't done yet, but I won't because no. I think we should do um, the map of small and perfect things. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. That's a pretty cool movie. We'll do that sometime soon. But mm. uh, no, this one here... Um, it, it is more experimental in nature. I liked the idea of putting it in there with some of the experimental sort of films For we sure. did. Yeah. Let me just find out what they were. <laughs> so I turn my back. Turn your back to me to find out where you should watch this. And whilst you do that. How about you? How would you tell us? talk about my three viewing pleasure recommendations for this film. So I think if you took a trilogy of films, we looked at Anon, right? You know, the Anon one? Yes, with With the the, um, woman who uh, was in a fire and her records got lost. Yeah, and it was the murder mystery, Clive Owen, uh, Amanda Segfrey one. Um, and then we also take another British sci-fi, which we did way back at the start, The Beyond. Again, you know, kind of travelling across time and space and also very much putting the brain into the, you know, to the astronaut sort of idea. Mm. I think if you watched um, these three films around each other, they're all kind of mind-bending ones. They're all kind of ones to think about the reality that we live in. They're all ones that push that a little bit and experiment with that. And I do remember that, like, even the beyond, it's kind of a little bit of a nightmare as well and Anon is a little bit of a nightmare set up. Yeah. Different outcomes that, to this film. But, yeah, again, the worlds are all distorted. Maybe even Dark City would be another one that would be yeah, good. Yeah, it is a bit Dark kind City-like, of, isn't it? Kind of, you know, mixed into this Because that, well. that's sort of a repeating... Um, yeah, life like a as well, where, of the world where to benefit. Yeah, the that, aliens keep doing this experiment yeah, over and over again. That's true to try as well. Yeah. Learn. So, so again, yeah, that would be probably another one. The Alex Proyas one to come in here as well. So, yeah, maybe those sort of three or four. I think really kind of push your mindset in the world that. You oh, okay. Well, I'm looking yeah. at the lobster. Okay. Yep. That was like number two. Yep. I think we did. Yep. Um, but that that's likewise. It's this sort that's of another one. Yeah. Um, film that. It leaves you with that unsettling ending, mm. which is is whether you go if you haven't seen the film, go watch it. It's <laughs> it's, uh, it's a film that I can see quite polarizing. There'd be people yeah. like me who who think it's just really very excellent. It's a great and dark comedy. This film is polarizing as well because yes, it, it is so. at the end. You're like, oh god, like is she just dead? Then is that just it, or is she free of this parallel universe? You know. So yeah, 
That's a good way of putting it, actually. I, I Am Mother is the other one, Piers. Uh, I Am Mother is likewise, it does reveal, uh, again, spoilers in case you haven't seen it, but it reveals at the end there that this artificial intelligence has been kind of looping people. Mm. So if you if you recall, because I know you've all seen it, the, you better <laughs> if you go. you haven't paused, go watch it. If you haven't seen it, go pause because I'm about to like totally spoil it for yeah, you. Yeah. But it starts off where, where the robot revives a fetus. And raises, uh, and we and we see a child getting raised, and then we we finally end up with this um, daughter character, yeah. who's the main protagonist throughout this film. But it's it's revealed later on, of course, that she's not the first one raised, mm. <laughs> and and there was, she's like number three or five or yeah. something or other. Yeah, yeah. But it seems that she managed to pass enough tests because you know the, the previous ones were terminated earlier, mm. but she's somehow passed some unknown test, yeah. which seemed to be involved actually fighting back against mother. Mm. And then she's been left to this world to supposedly raise more humans in a uh, a world entirely controlled by mother, mm. which, again, is this kind of solely unsettling. Is like, well, did she actually pass the real final test or is it just <laughs> that stage? Yeah. And, you know, they'll let her raise a new child and see how that works out. Mm. And if that doesn't work out so good, burn the whole lot down again, start Stardew, over. Yeah. Like it's it's kind it's of that, that same sort of feeling, I, I, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that feeling is a good feeling. Yeah. It's a, it's a very unique feeling. And, and I think that's what I meant earlier where, with that scene of the feet going down the steps in this mm. film, that you it, it's designed by the filmmaker to make you uncomfortable as an audience. Yeah. You know, and films do that. Sometimes they can make you uncomfortable. And we all as an audience have our threshold of enjoyment, of of anxiety, of uncomfortableness. And, you know, this is where you're starting to move into not just like, a, you know, just film as an entertainment, but film in the art form as well that, oh, this is, this is making me uncomfortable. Yeah, you know? was- and there's ways to do that. Like a story could just be really disturbing, you know, Hannibal Lecter eats people's faces, yeah. but so that could you could go no no I don't want to watch any more of this right like yeah. that that could be your cut point so the story point or is it like something like this where you're like oh that is a real nightmare I don't know if I want to do I really want to know do I really want to know that yeah <laughs> do I want to feel that feeling I, that that uncomfortable I, feeling uh, I got that feeling watching Train Spotting yeah where you see them you know, very purposely injecting heroin mm. and then flopping back yeah. uselessly like it's a sort of uh, I read, I read someone, in the toilet. someone said that you're transplanting glorifying drug use yeah. and you're like, did you watch that film? Yeah. That was a nightmare scenario. <laughs> and there's that one Requiem for the Dream that I know yeah. is very disturbing um, uh, and Darren Aronofsky who just now is having some huge success with that film called The Whale or whatever it is with Brendan Fraser that, mm. that's kind of doing very well. Um, but, yeah, like my wife, we saw Requiem all those years and it's still disturbed her, you know, because yeah. of what happens in that film. Uh, and again, you could go, oh, that's glorifying drugs. Like, oh, God, will you see what happens to those people? Like yeah. their life. <laughs> um, I, I don't think you're watching the same film. I don't think you're watching the same film there, yeah. Or you're not picking up on the intentions of the filmmaker. So, yeah, so that is an interesting one is these films pushing us. Lobster, definitely mentioning that. Now I'm really thinking of it. I think that's probably a good one to watch with that. So any of the films on the ladder that we've looked at that are real mind-bending, 
upsetting, disturbing, probably work with this. No, you, uh, towel. We <laughs> mentioned that, that one. would probably yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, no, probably another that one. That was not at all what I was expecting. No, no. So it you, glorifies artificial intelligence. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, it's all the kids are going to be into AI, aren't they? Ah, oh, filthy. Yeah. <laughs> So what about the science element? Sorry, this film, as we said, really clearly taking a potential hypothetical science and also flowing in some fiction and you know, making an extremity well, to, of that. To tell you the truth, I was actually kind of thinking about looking at airships. Okay, yeah. Because they're cool, but Love I'm not going ships. to. Because, because, uh, uh, Collective uh, Oh, no, <laughs> airships. No, instead, I thought we might talk a little bit more about the multiple worlds Interpretation yeah, yeah. of quantum physics. I, th- I think I've mentioned it before in the past, but I, we have talked. A I bit think about it. I think this is you know a little bit of a um, bit of a discussion on that here, and we're going to start with Erwin Schrödinger, oh. and we've all heard of Schrödinger. He's he's the dude who you know wants to kill cats apparently <laughs> with poison gas. Uh, now well, that's his famous experiment with yeah. the cat in a box uh, in order to. Yeah. Highlight how Scientists. somewhat odd or, or ridiculous superposition is, you know, quantum states are. But Schrodinger, so he postulated this equation, Schrodinger's equation, which is what the, the multiple the worlds interpretation <laughs> stems from. And he did that in 1925. Like he, was a, he was a really clever guy. I don't know if anyone knows this, but he, he was very, very with it. Uh, he published it in 1926 and he won the Nobel Prize in 1933 thanks mm. to his work in this field. So his equation, the Schrodinger equation, it's a way of describing a quantum system. So a quantum system being basically where we're talking about fundamental sizes of things, photons and, and things that get measured by lengths of photons as opposed to a macroscopic classical uh, physics which is a person drinking from a drink bottle, for example. Right. Just, you know, pull out of my mind, you know, <laughs> highly imaginative. Uh, so, so it describes quantum as they evolve through time. Uh, you can rearrange this equation to, to describe a couple of different things, but we're talking about evolving through time. So the equation takes in environmental conditions which act on a system and allows the description of that system when a measurement is taken. So that, that's kind of a bit abstract, and it is. And that measurement then uh, allows for prediction of what's going to happen at other points in time as well because this equation is about variation of a system through time. Uh, so what we could do, we could think of, say, two particles that have been entangled, uh, for example, by being brought into sufficiently close proximity. And I'll get you a bit of a bit of a more practical example so roughly speaking if you had two balls like tennis balls or billiard balls is another one mm. and they're rolling towards each other and you're you're just listening and you hear them clank and so you, you know they've rebounded yeah they are what's called as entangled and oh, they're yeah, entangled yeah, yeah. in entangled. that we can go okay let's have a look at one ball and how it's rolling you know we know the the, the initial state of the two balls before they got too close and banged. And now we look at this, this one that's rolling. We go, oh, it's rolling in this direction at this speed. Uh, and, well, we know now, without even looking at the other ball, how fast it's rolling because they weigh the same and they rebound in a, in a known way. So we already know what direction the other ball is flying, going off in and, you know, how fast it's moving. Mm. So that's an entangled system. Because by looking at one part of it, the other one you know the answers to. 
uh, which is basically the same as it. So they're talking about entangled particles uh, are such that they basically get up all in each other's grill and then when you, even if you send one of them off somewhere else, you can look at one of them and you'll know the answer to the other one. Right. So that's, that's entanglement. And the many worlds interpretation then, because we'll get back to this entanglement bit in a moment, it was proposed in 1957, so about 20-odd years later after Schrodinger's equation and, and everyone's running around. There's like this Copenhagen interpretation uh, which sort of talks about wavefront collapses and things. But anyway... Uh, there's American physicist Hugh Everett uh, in 1957. So he, he states, he said, goes, well, hang on, let's look at this a slightly different way. Rather than saying uh, a wave function collapse uh, in which we have this concept of superposition. So if you think of Schrodinger's box with his cat in it and we don't know if instead of the cat being dead, let's say <laughs> that the, the little sensor goes off and a sardine is dropped. So we don't know if the cat is well fed or is a little bit hungry. So, and until we open that box, we can say it is both well fed and hungry yes. until a measurement is made. Correct. And we, if we have no other thing. And then when we open that, that's when, bang, it's one of those things or the other. Yeah. Something has definitely happened. Yeah. So that's a wave function collapse. So Schrodinger's equation can be seen as a wave function because it, it describes uh, something through time, much like a, a wave passing mm-hmm. through time. But, uh, yeah, that has its own problems, of course, which is, you know, how come then this, you know, magically by measuring one thing we know magically these other things, like that's kind of crazy. Hmm. I mean, yeah, there, there's various theories as to how all that works and, and it's not super crazy but it's just as crazy as superposition which is like, well, how can the cat both be well fed and not fed, hmm. you know. So he, he says, well, let's let's not have wave function collapse, uh-huh. but rather let's say that you know in the, the billiard balls that are bouncing off each other, let's say the two balls simultaneously exist with all possible state and we're only able to interpret the universe through a single viewpoint to see one of the possible states. So that these balls are flying towards each other and they're going to clang off each other yeah. and there's lots of different directions they could bounce based on where they start from and air movements and how yeah. hot and cold things are. Let's just say, well, it all happens. Mm. And there's one version of us which sees it goes off that direction, one version sees it goes that direction, but it's gone in all directions. Yeah, It's not a singular item. Now, this introduces an interesting idea into our universe. So when you're talking superposition, you're talking probabilities and you're, you're flipping coins or you're opening boxes or you're smacking balls together, whatever. Mm, don't smack your balls together. <laughs> Feed cats, flip coins. You can flip coins. Just don't bet on it. Gambling's bad. But anyway, what you're talking about there is you don't you have unknown outcomes. Mm. You've yeah. got probability. You flip a coin, it's a 50-50, it'll be heads or tails. Mm. But if it will always be heads and it will always be tails, the universe becomes deterministic, which yes. is to say that given an input, all the output is determined. There's no chance of it happening. It will happen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just because you didn't see it happen doesn't mean it's not happened to a different version of you that also saw it happen. Mm-hmm. So we don't have probability. And that's to say if you were to um, roll a dice and you say one in six chance of something happening, no, all six numbers would turn up at some point. And probably one of them where the dice rolls off the table and everyone goes, oh, geez, go get that damn thing. Yeah. Natural 20, which you can't get a natural 20, but you will get to that. So it's certainty, which now I'm going to bring this back around to the movie in a second which is what makes the movie quite horrifying, really. Because, but then the question is, 
does that mean that anything can happen at any time? Could you roll a dice with six sides and get a 20? And the answer is no, because it's only things that can happen will happen. So from a starting point, say a coin that has two sides, we'll ignore the third edge, it can only flip to a heads or, or it can flip tails. to a tails. Yeah. It can't turn into a mouse. Like there, there's just yeah. no pathway. It's it's outside of the bounds of the, the wave described by Schrodinger's equation. Like there's yeah. no point where you can make a measurement of a coin and it will become a car. Or, or more, more electron won't spontaneously become a proton is what they're saying. So if you're yeah. shooting electrons out of a gun, you're not going to start measuring protons. You'll still be measuring electrons. It does raise a really weird question, but in my mind, which is, so a coin, it's obvious with two sides. Yes. But let's say someone is uh, getting results from an exam, mm. like a, an exam out of a, a maths, ex- a physics exam. Yes. <laughs> Do they, is there a hundred, because it's out of a hundred, is there a hundred possibilities? Because there's a hundred marks. A hundred possibilities as in. As, you know, like is it in one of those virtuals, in one of those universes, they get a hundred out of a hundred and then in another they get yeah. 99 out of a hundred. But, but, but when you, but in the same context, if you're saying I'm flipping this coin, there's only really two options. Yeah, you know so, what I mean? Like, so yeah, so once they've, once the person has done the test, you've already got the knowledge of what their results is. But if you go back to an early enough state, then yeah, they could get anything there. So they could have studied harder yeah, and learned I mean. it and there's got a, the hundred. There's, there's a there's a hundred variables. And, right? and this and this is where we go to Jane and this experiment is in why why she's always the one who's lost mm. because. You've got to think that the experiment starts at some point A mm. and it's at that point where the experiment starts that branching happens. Yeah. So then I mean. from that yeah. point there was one branch where Jane travels, Jane's experience that we watch in the film starts travelling down one branch and every time there's a new chance for opportunity you get a branching. But you can reach that point where the branching can never get back to the other yeah. branches. So this would be, you could imagine if you're walking along and your leg falls off, you've now gone down a branch and you can't ever get to the same branch where you're walking along, your leg didn't fall off mm. and you continued your training and you run a marathon. Yeah. Uh, now your, your leg's fallen off, you can't get back to that branch you where you train and run a marathon. Yeah. I mean, that's probably not a good, a good example because you get an artificial leg. But you, you see what I'm saying here yeah, is, yeah. You're not going to run a marathon with two legs because you've only got the one leg. That's what I mean. Like someone. Could and so now you're could, on a, a new set of yeah. branches, which someone, are someone could do a, a new physics path. test, which enabled them to get into university, enabled them to get some sort of job, and mm. you know, it's like that could be their whole. The and they path, end up right? as the first astronaut like, on Mars, yeah, right? Yeah. But then at the same time, that same person could have got five out of a hundred on the test, yeah. And then they didn't go to uni, they didn't continue with physics, and they went down a different path, became a drug dealer. Whatever, right? Like pharmacist, pharmacist, I think it's called. They let they let a life of crime, for example. You know what I mean? They never would have gotten to the moon. Yeah, and 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 they're too truncated. And and now that's actually that's a branch cut off from them. Like they're the other version. They're no longer even on a path that could lead to no, never get there. Mars. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's that's where we're talking about with Jane here. Mm. She to be the one who's forever lost would mean that there was some branching point at the start of the experiment mm. where there was the Jane who just sails through and has 
her high emotional points that get reset on, uh, you know, she scraped her hand while gardening the roses, mm. you know. Oh, oh, what a bother. Oh, flash, reset. She's back eating her toast and crumpets. You know, like, yeah. you know, that that's the path she's on. She'll never be on that path where she encounters a hideous monster in a dark room. You know, like, yeah. that's not going to happen. But poor old Jane we followed, which is the horror of this, was on that path and she can never get off. Yeah. The, part, the best of her path is still the lost path, <laughs> which and and I think that's that's the real horror of uh, of all of this. You can you can view it though from the point of view of a whole universe. So the different worlds in this interpretation are not separate universes. The universe is all the worlds in a big Schrodinger's equation, you know, wave itself, mm. which contains. All of that possibility, yes, yeah, evolving yeah. over time, yeah. and that's how this interpretation deals with conservation of energy. Mm. Because if you were to, uh, you know, start splitting universes every time a quantum event happens, mm. you're getting more and more energy. There's, yep. there's more and more matter in the in the universe, uh, unless you know if you're getting different universes. But if you're actually looking at the whole universe being the culmination of all possible worlds, mm. then in the one equation, then yes, yeah, some of those worlds will in fact decrease in energy. So you get the one where that the universe dies of a heat death in five billion years and never gets an Earth, yes. just because it yeah a bit of an effect of Maxwell's hammer. If you ever heard of that thought experiment, but basically yeah, yeah, everything just loses energy out and it just yeah. dies off quick. And there'll be another one that lasts an extra you know five billion years longer than everything else. Yes, but in totality, it will equate to being the same amount of Everything, mm. if you like, yeah, yeah, right. It's a poor little Jane. Poor Jane as her truncated branch. But it it did way. raise that interesting point where Jane was able to swap realities, or yeah, she could see. where either she could see into other realities, or she could jump onto those other paths, like where the mm. car worked, for yeah. example, yeah, 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 where yeah. the door was unlocked. Mm. But yeah, and and I think that's a really fascinating that 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 could spawn a whole other movie, like. Yeah. Like you can imagine some sort of other movie where, where someone, they're not looping in time and so forth, but they're starting to see other branches head yeah. off and learn to pick a branch. And then you're going to end up with that, that dramatic moment where they find themselves on a branch uh, where they, there's some terrible fate seems to be locked onto that branch. They can't get off. As, as we said, you, know, you reach a point where you've missed the last exit. You can't exit your current trajectory, yeah. doesn't matter how hard you try, yeah, you'll yeah. never become the astronaut lands on the Mars, you know. That's right. Um, that would be a, an interesting film in itself. But that's, yeah, that's very, very clear. There's a bunch of other different interpretations of yeah, yeah. physics and uh, quantum, but that's uh, the the Everett multi-worlds, which seems to be what they are following mm. and here. Yeah, yeah, for and sure. it's absolutely mind-blowing stuff. And this is why so many movies... Invoke the word quantum in order to <laughs> perform magic. Just explain stuff because there's a, there, there is a certain point. And a lot of the times it is kind of nonsense, but there's still kind of a certain point at the fuzzy edges where you can just sort of say, uh, you know, they 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 collapsed a sun and used all of that energy to quantum something. Yeah. You know, magic <laughs> boom happens, and you go, oh, okay, well, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got a lot of energy, and you compress it to a really small point. Um, not really sure what happens at that point, you know, like a new universe is born maybe or something. <laughs> Who knows? 
But that, that was pretty good. That is. It's an awesome idea, this film. Really interestingly shot. I think there's so many learnings in here for uh, people like you and I and uh, others that are starting out. And, and it's just a real lesson in a filmmaker or filmmakers, uh, Matthew and Tori, mm. kind of using what they've got, which is always a thing for film, for yeah, especially I, independent filmmakers. I know it's I like, spotted a few got, you little know, techniques. So, that yeah. uh, She's in the dark at one point. To, um, Jane and she's holding a lamp. Yep. And anyone who's actually gone camping and used one of those lamps is you've got to hold them down low mm. out of your face because you yeah, can't see anything. But in this, you know, in she, film, you she's, need it near she's the face. holding it right <laughs> up next to the face, looking around, which looks natural in the film as yep. it turns out. Yeah, yeah. But it also gives that good lighting. Which mm. how else are you going to achieve that? That's right. Without you because know, she's moving through the woods and it's just the cameraman. And her, yeah. there's not like another person carrying a diffuse box no. and a reflector and on a, a dolly roving, able to sort of yeah. roll it along. It's like yeah. none of that's going no. on. No, there's not no. even a reflector. But there. there's there's a lot of those sorts of things, yeah. those little techniques and ch- tricks and, and cheats and hacks to sort of bring out the best. Yeah, which for, is, for an independent film. Yeah, that's I mean, what you need to be doing. I'll, I'll probably be looking back at this film when I'm planning my film. Yeah. Uh, be looking back at certain scenes to see how how the camera was moved and yeah, uh, sure. how the lighting was done. So, yeah, go check it out and uh, let us know what you thought about the episode. Give us a rating if you're listening on Apple or Spotify or review or hit us up on our socials and leave a comment or two about this particular episode, this film. Um, I got feedback again the other day of a, a of, from a guy in Thailand through Instagram that he's been listening along, so uh, and he's really excited and and he's working with some young people that are all into the Marvel sci-fi sort of universe. Oh, yes. So so he was asking me a couple of questions via Instagram that way. Oh, so, I watched Thor: Love and Thunder the other night. Oh yeah, that was Any fun. Good? Yeah. <laughs> Um, the white Taikiki, white Kiki. Yeah, Taika Waititi. <laughs> yeah. He's had an absolute rise in, in attention. He's a monster he? at the moment in oh. the film industry and uh, and good on him, good on him. He, they, and also it's interesting with Thor, like they gave him a chance with the last one and then with this one he, he wasn't sure whether he wanted to do it again and then he, he said, well, yeah, if I can kind of bring my version into it and they were happy to do that... I, and I think Hemsworth was actually really happy with that. Mm. The story sort of evolved a bit differently. But anyway, that I, I diverged. But yeah, so there's lots of different films out there that you can look at and we're looking at all sorts of ones. So get in touch and let us know if maybe you want us to look at a particular sci-fi film or just you know send us your feedback if you're listening along. The next episode is number 90, which makes it a classic. A classic. So... Last episode, as I explained, was a, a scheduling mix around. So mm. we said last episode was 89 and next episode 90, but it turns out it's 88 and this is 89. Next is one is The Blob. Yes, The Blob. 1958. <laughs> so the original. The original, baby. Back when there was a lot of monster movies coming out, Lots 50 foot. Tall women, spiders that were trying to like eat Aliens, the earth. Yeah, 
And Giant creatures, monsters. I think there's Draculas. a Frankenstein in the 50s. There's a Frankenstein. Zombies, the birth of the zombie, sort of the Western zombie story. Oh, just, yeah, um, the Night of Living Dead was a fantastic yeah, one. So, so there is a whole bunch of monsters well, and of stuff. The, so Dawn of the Dead. We're yeah. going to look at the wow. real classic sci-fi one, which is The Blob. It spawned numerous sequels, remakes, whatever, and some other sort of oh, versions of this Conceptually, tale. people yeah. have uh, been drawn into this idea story. of the... Yeah. the the visiting space monstrosity invaders, you and know? it's yeah. and it's yeah, and it's a different take, I think, on the visiting space monstrosities. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> it's a whole subgenre, isn't it? Yes, that we could go down. But anyway, great. go check it out. We are looking at the original one. If you want to stay up to date with this, and you'll get to hear what we both think about the blob next time on Space Brains. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.